Welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Chase Will. Welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. Today I'm joined by Brian Asman, author of Man, Fuck This House, Nunchuck City, Jailbroke, and others. Brian, how you doing? Hey, great. Thanks for having me on, Chase. Thanks for being on, man. So I start every episode asking, what is your favorite horror movie of all time? If you had to pick one. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, It's obviously very hard to pick just one, but I did decide to wear this shirt today. Uh, So, yep, street trash. Uh, I think if I had to pick one, uh, this would probably be it just because I have such a deep appreciation for everything this film is. Now, this is actually one I haven't seen in a long time. Can you give me a quick overlay of the movie? <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing because yeah, I'm usually on top of this. <laughs> it's all good. I kind of sprung this on you. I actually went up to my drawer just a little while ago before this podcast and uh, just grabbed a random shirt out. I figured that's the movie that I would say this is my favorite movie. You know, that's easiest way to pick. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so Street Trash is a 1987 movie directed by James Murrow, who went on to be the Steadicam operator for James Cameron. And if you go to his IMDb, has worked on essentially every movie that you have ever watched and loved uh, in your entire life. It's crazy, this guy's body of work. But um, yeah, he made in 1987. It's often confused for a trauma movie. He worked with a lot of people who worked on trauma movies. The woman who did the special effects for street trash was the one who designed the toxic Avenger. So a lot of trauma connections and it's a very trauma esque movie. So essentially the premise is a liquor store owner finds a case of adulterated hooch from like the 1930s in his basement and decides to start selling it to the local population. And when people drink it, they melt down very spectacularly in uh neon colors and it's quite the sight to see so you're a big fan of those kinds of movies then right yeah yeah mount movies like anything with like bright vibrant colors and gore like is always going to be a good time for me have you seen movies like uh terrifier 2 yet i have not seen terrifier 2 yet i did see the first one it kind of reminds me of those old 80s kind of grindhouse, like splash, uh, splashy in your face movies like where violence is kind of cartoonish in a way yeah it definitely yeah the first one definitely did so yeah i'm looking forward to checking out the new one uh, speaking of movies you had a couple come out recently um a haunting in ravenwood that came out a couple months ago yeah back in april yeah that's a small indie film it's kind of like a neo-gothic ghost story in the tradition of vincent price uh it's essentially about a couple who moves into like their family's ancestral house and uh spooky things start to happen so that was a, I co-wrote that one and produced it. That was a lot of fun to do. Oh, I bet. Uh, now writing for movies and books, how different is that for you? Uh, it's very different, but at the same time, I really enjoy doing both because I feel like when I s- switch gears and like work on a movie instead of a book, like I carry lessons back into my prose and vice versa. Uh, I also write some comics too. And that's like another completely different style of writing. So like, I just like shifting gears between all these different styles and just taking what I've learned. I think, uh, ever since I started writing screenplays, my prose has become a, like a lot more visual. So I often like, you know, when people read one of my books, they're like, oh, I could totally picture that. Or like, oh, I could totally see that as a movie. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the idea. (laughs) (laughs) So someone compared the two styles, like they say, writing prose is like, you know, inventing your own world and really being in it. 
And they said writing a screenplay is a lot like writing an instruction manual, which I can kind of see. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Like the thing is a screenplay is it's a blueprint and it's a form of art unto itself. Sure. But like, ultimately what you're doing is creating a guide for other people to take and go make an actual movie out of it. So the, the, like the end user is completely different. You know, when you write a book, you're writing directly for the reader. Whereas when you write a screenplay, you're writing for the director, for the actors, uh, for the cinematographer, uh, for the special effects people, like all that stuff. Right. So it's just a it's it's a different audience. Who are some of your influences, both in uh, writing novels and in writing screenplays? Mm, Yeah. So I think one of my biggest influences is definitely Garth Ennis, uh, the comic book writer. Uh, So he has like this crazy gonzo style that I discovered when I was a teenager. And it really, really spoke to me. Uh, It was one of those things where I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you can actually do this on the page. I didn't know you were allowed to do stuff like this. And so when I write, I think I, I take a little bit of that with me, that whole like going balls to the wall, not holding anything back uh, type thing. So Garth Ennis is a big, uh, big influence. Definitely. Like I grew up reading a lot of like noir. Uh, so people like James Elroy, uh, Bukowski was another big influence. And then um, for film, like definitely Kevin Smith, um, actually, my first published novella is called I'm Not Even Supposed to Be Here Today. <laughs> and uh, it's essentially kind of a riff on Clerks and Kevin Smith and like gas stations and the 90s and all of that stuff. And uh, I, I, I generally am always really, really attracted to people who did it themselves, um, who just said, you know what? Fuck it. I have this idea I really want to make, and I'm going to go do that. And I'm not going to wait for someone to tell me it's okay to do that. I'm not going to wait for someone to like necessarily even give me a bunch of money to do it. I'm going to figure out a way to do it on my own. And that is something that really, really resonates with me. Yeah, because he put himself like thousands of dollars in debt to make clerks. That's <laughs> like, holy yeah. shit. Yeah, That's insane. Yeah. He definitely like, and luckily it paid off. And like, obviously most movies aren't profitable and most indie films like don't (laughs) make money back or anything like that. But for me, I think really the lesson there is that no matter what you want to do, no matter what your goals are, there's actually a way to do it. And it's often more simple than you would think. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day uh, about breaking into comics. He was talking about like, you know, the process of breaking into comics, you know? And he's like, there's, there's a really like established process. If you want to break in as a writer and it, it does cost money and it's a lot of work, but essentially it's like, you know, just go like, you know, you can find a lot of very talented artists in other countries who will work for a, like, you know, a certain page rate uh, that you might not be able to find from like a more established artist here. And essentially you know, go make a comic. And, you know, those, those artists like, you know, will get poached by bigger companies. Sure. But you'll have this project that's completed and done. I I'm, I'm really like a big believer in if you show the world that you're able to execute and complete things, people notice that, you know, and people will want to work with you if they're like, you know, this, you know, this guy actually finished something, you know, he's not like, you know, so many other people who are, you know, have pipe dreams and want to like, someday I'm going to do this. Some get damn I'm going to do that. Now it's like, if you sit down and actually do the thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, like actually complete it. Like that's, you know, that shows people something like, 
there was a there's a post going around on Facebook or no sorry Twitter like a couple months ago that you know I didn't respond to it at the time because I'm not really one to get into Twitter spats with people but it was essentially someone saying that there's no established process for getting an agent and that every example of someone getting an agent is like a complete like unique snowflake of a situation and i was like that's what that's some of the worst advice i've ever fucking seen in my life there is a very established clear process for getting an agent and i think most people can actually do it yep but the thing is yeah hey there we go (laughs) (laughs) the thing is it's hard like that's the thing and so like for anyone listening essentially if you want to get a literary agent here's what you do you go write a book right Mm -hmm. You write a book, you revise that book, you create a pitch for that book and you hone that pitch, right? And then you make your list of literary agents. There are a lot of different ways to come up with list of literary agents. Uh, One thing I really recommend to people is to look at the writers that you admire and see who's representing them, right? And not necessarily writers that you're writing like, but writers that you have some sort of thematic or some sort of like, you know, like kind of like world worldview like commonality with you know and look at those agents right and submit to those uh, like and you know so just make a huge list of agents submit to those agents right submit to a couple at a time so if they give you actionable feedback you can think about incorporating that right so like do that process right and then do it five times then do it 10 times and i mean front to back right write another book revise another book uh craft a new pitch create a new list of agents like i defy the world to show me anyone who's done that five to ten times and still not gotten representation right Mm -hmm. like like eventually that process will work for you it's like it feels like it doesn't work to a lot of people because they're a lot of people are one and done you know they they write a book and when that doesn't work out they move on to something else right and yeah that sucks but you know stephen graham jones said something to me once that really stuck with me which is essentially the writers who are successful are the ones who didn't quit i like that so I think a lot of people have the idea that being a writer is literally just writing the book and then the world takes care of the rest. And that's the way the work ends. And I think that's like one of the biggest logical fallacies I've ever heard. It's like, yeah. no, like if you want to make a career out of it and you really want to like do it for a living and not just for yourself, there's more work involved than just, you know, the front page, you know? Right, exactly. You have to you have to essentially establish yourself as not just a writer, uh, but like you know a platform. Essentially, um, you have to show people that you can craft a, create a fan base, right? And that's a lot of people don't like hearing that. You know, they're kind of just like fingers in the ears, like no, 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 no. I just want to write, and I get that. Like, I just want to write too, but that's generally in 2022 not how you're going to become successful like people have like a very visceral reaction to this stuff like a lot of people hate the word brand you know they're like oh that's that's fake or it's this or that and i'm like no like your brand isn't fake and it shouldn't be right like but your brand is the parts of yourself that you choose to expose to the world at large. That's how I look at it. Right. And so there is like, and honestly, every single person, whether it's your grandmother or your aunt or whoever, they're all 
curating their social media presence to a degree, right? Because we, it's impossible to literally share everything on social media, although some people certainly try, you know? So I think everyone has some degree of curation that they do when posting stuff on social media. And so your brand is doing that with intentionality, but it's not, it's not being fake, like, because people can tell. And so I think that's what throws people off about words like brand is they assume it's like, it's being fake when it's really not. That's a, that's not a recipe for success. Now, have you seen people like totally bomb their brands? I know it's possible too. I know people can do that in like the snap of a finger with social media. Like what are some mistakes people can make? Um, Okay. So I had a really interesting conversation with someone about this the other day, actually. And I think this goes not just for social media, but for writing, for trying to get an agent, for literally anything you might attempt as a human being. I truly believe that there are very few mistakes that are not recoverable. So uh, example, one thing that people might think is a mistake, they write a book that's amateurish, not well-developed and filled, riddled with like errors and terrible prose, whatever. And then they go shop that book around, right? They might not get like an agent or they might not get like an indie, like indie press to pick it up. Right. But that wasn't necessarily a mistake unless they choose to view it that way. Right. Because anyone who saw that book is either a not going to remember it when they get the next submission or B they're like, Oh, this person submitted something, then they submit something else. And I can see an evolution. This person's writing and they have a work ethic. And maybe that's something I can work with, not this time, but maybe the next time or something like that. Right. So I, I think there are very few mistakes that are not recoverable. The, obviously the really big one is if you are horrible to other people, mm-hmm. I think that's really the only thing that can truly shoot yourself in the foot for a very long time. Right. And whether it's saying things that are, inappropriate politically or whether you're actually like at a convention and like fucking assault someone like there's shit like that that can ruin your career and should ruin your career but i I generally i think like a lot of things that are mistakes are just bumps in the road now one big thing nowadays is self-publishing in your experience as a writer how likely is it people can transition from self-publishing to traditional publishing and getting an agent because some people have the stigma of you've self-published in the past it's now impossible for you to break in as a traditionally published writer. Is that true or false? I think that's false. And it's, it, I think it used to be true and now it's changing quite a bit. There are a lot of different examples of people who started in either small presses or indie publishing, and then have moved on to bigger deals. So Eric LaRocca is just like the, the, the biggest example I can think of, you know, where he had a book uh, come out with a small press that took off and then resold that book to a bigger publisher. And now he he's also done self-publishing and now he's got a bunch of different projects coming out with a bunch of different presses from clash to Titan. Um, so, and then, you know, there's film rights and things happening too at the same time. So I think, and then there's also me, I'm, Another example where I, and so I, my path to self-publishing was a little bit different, I think, than a lot of people, because I didn't start self-publishing. So I had, my first novella came out with Eraserhead in 2019. And, uh, you know, that was a great experience. And I really enjoy working with them. Um, Rose and Carlton are definitely good friends of mine. Uh, Love them, love them and what their press puts out. Um, But, you know, and 
around the same time my novella came out, I actually got an agent. So um, at that point, I had literary representation. My agent was shopping around a novel. And one of the things that kept coming up in discussions with my agent was building my platform. You know, I think I meant, mentioned this uh, a little bit earlier, but my agent was like, you know, the a lot of publishers, they really want to see that you have like more of an online presence, right? So if you're trying to build a platform as a writer, though, the hard thing about that is if you don't have a lot of stuff out there, right? So you can write short stories and try and get them published in anthologies and journals and stuff like that. But like, you know, it's hard to gain notoriety as a writer without actual publications, but like bigger presses don't necessarily want to work with you. That's not always true, but there's some resistance to working with people who don't have a platform or there's a, it's a, it's more of a selling point, uh, or like to put a more positive spin on it. So essentially I was talking to my agent and I was like, look, I want to continue building my platform, but I need to, I need books to do that. And she was like, well, why don't you start self-publishing novellas and then go from there. Right. And she's like, don't for various reasons. She said, don't self-publish a novel because then I can sell your debut novel to a bigger publisher. Right. Um, but she's like, novellas go nuts. So I put out three novellas, right. Uh, jailbroke nunchuck city. And then finally, man, fuck this house. <laughs> and what I wanted to do with that project was essentially they're all in different genres. And I was just trying to like create a range of different products to offer people. Right. So when I'm at a convention and I'm like, Hey, so what do you like to read? If they're like sci-fi, I have something I can point out. If they're like, Oh, I like ghost stories. I have something I can point out, you know? Um, so yeah. So then essentially uh, man, fuck this house, which is self-published uh, took off. Um, went viral, went crazy, which was really awesome. And we just sold the rights to that, um, to Blackstone. So they're going to be republishing man, fuck this house with additional short stories included. They also bought one of my novels, uh, good dogs. It's a werewolf, uh, book at the same time. So that was essentially my path through, uh, from the small press through self-publishing to working with a bigger publisher. Now you're in so, kind of a unique situation too, because you live out west. And this is a question a lot of people have: is do you have to live out west or New York City to make it as a writer? No, you can live anywhere you want in this day and age. Thankfully, um, I think the one thing that does help is wherever you live, if you have some amount of mobility uh, to get to conventions, um, that really helps to meet people. Like, so I've been to things like StokerCon, and it's a great networking experience, you know. So you meet people like that, and then sometimes they might message you and say, "Hey, I'm putting together an anthology. Do you have a short story or things like that?" Right? But um, generally, I don't think that you have to live anywhere in particular in order to be a writer um, or to be a successful writer. Now, um, when you're looking at movies, what makes a good movie to you or a good book for that matter? What, what draws you in? What makes a powerful story that actually sticks? Yeah. So those are kind of, I, I see those as kind of two different questions. So I'll take them one at a time. So I think with a book, the number one thing I look for in a book is just voice. Does the writer have a very strong and engaging voice? And if so, I'm into it. Um, I read a fantastic book recently called All You Need Is Love and, and, and Electric Current. It's kind of like a Frankenstein uh, type riff by Mackenzie Kira. 
And uh, that's a book I've been recommending a lot lately, strictly on the strength of the voice. It's just so like propulsive and so engaging that you just want to like flip through the pages. And, you know, I flew through that book. Um, so that's, yeah, voice is the main thing I look for in a book. Um, as long as that flows nicely, I'm in, I'm, I like, I like a good solid plot, but that's not my number one. Um, just, you know, voice and characters that you can care about. Um, in movies, like, you know, you don't really have the narrative voice so much in, in the same explicit way, but every movie kind of has its own voice too. So I like, I like films that are fun, engaging, also idiosyncratic and kind of like take me somewhere different or weird. Like, so street trash is a great example of that where, uh, or like the greasy strangler. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, for example, but these are films where the, the film itself kind of has a voice essentially. And it's telling you a story that's set in a reality that's parallel to our own where things don't work the way they do in our realities, you know? And that's, it's just like such a trippy mind fuck that I love it. Um, I also like more like, you know, like mainstream type stuff. Like I just saw smile the other day, which is one of the best examples of studio horror I've seen in a very long time. It's just a great film, super fun. Um, barbarians, another one I've seen recently that, uh, I thought was really cool. Um, and you know, stuff with layers, stuff that just engages you. Now, this is a question that might be three parts because you're involved in like three different things. What is your writing process like? Like you start off with an outline or you pants? Oh, I pants. Um, pretty much completely. I, uh, I've tried outlining before and it just doesn't work for me. Um, you know, I sit to, like, that's when I get like, quote unquote, writer's block is when I try and outline, I sit down, I just keep staring at that blank page. The thing that I like, I need to like, like, I'm like a downhill runner in the NFL. Like I have to work up ahead of steam in order to really make progress on a project. And so I definitely, uh, I essentially have, when I write, I have a vague mental outline in place, right? So I'll have like an endpoint. I might have a couple milestones, a couple given scenes that I know I want to want to include in the book, but I generally like figure it out as I go along and let, honestly, this is going to sound kind of like hippy dippy, but I like let my my subconscious do a lot of the heavy lifting. Like I'll get to the end of the book and realize I seeded things in throughout the book that I didn't actually realize I was doing. And sometimes I'll have to go back and amplify things, cut things, massage things. Um, with my, with my novel, Good Dogs, that was the one project I've done that required the, the most. And it had almost turned me into an outliner, only because I get to the end, I realize I have to rip the entire thing apart because the inciting incident, like it would be way more interesting to have character B be the cause of the inciting incident rather than character A. And so like I had to essentially rewrite the entire book from scratch at that point. Um, and so after that, I try, I went back to try and outline in some more, but like, it just doesn't work for me. <laughs> now, say you've got someone who wants to write comics, wants to write movies and write, wants to write books. What would you recommend they take as far as a path? Should they just pick one thing? Should they start evolving in all manners? Um, I think generally that's a question everyone has to answer for themselves. Like, I do think focus in one area helps you get 
good at things. So for me, it started with pros. So from like, you know, 2016 through 2019 or so, that's all I wrote was pros. Um, and then 2019, I was getting my MFA from UCR Palm Desert and we had to take a cross. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'll try screenwriting. I had no interest in screenwriting at that point, uh, but I needed to take a cross. And so I, I was like, you know what, Let, let's just try this. And it really was such a different way of thinking that I, I kind of fell in love with that. And so I would work on screenplays and prose projects in parallel at that point. Um, and then the comics thing just kind of happened because honestly, I'm a big believer in just, if you show up, good things will happen. You know, if you make, if you talk to people, if, uh, if you make yourself available and just generally like conduct yourself as like a nice, competent, easygoing person, like people will ask you to get involved with stuff. So the comics thing happened because I got a random message on Facebook uh, from this woman who was like, Hey, I'm part of like this local artist collective. And we're, we wanted to do like some, we're doing a Halloween our art event, but we wanted to do some readings from local authors. Would you like to come to a reading? And I just said yes to that. Right. Um, you know, not even thinking about what the event would be like, how many people would be there, what's in it for me or anything like that. And I'm like, cool, this is an opportunity to meet some new people and do something fun. And then, so I do this reading and then, uh, they, people from the local artist collective were like, Hey, by the way, we're putting together this comic book. Would you like to write a story for us? And I was like, well, I've always wanted to do comics, but I've never had the opportunity. So I just kind of dove into that. I read Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics. Uh, there's another how-to book by Greg Pak and Fred Van Lente that I read that was super helpful. Um, and I just kind of leveraged everything I've learned at that point. So long story short is that that's my path, but everyone's going to have a different path. But I generally think if you want, like, I think, a lot of people want to do different things and i think it's really helpful to do different things but i do i do think it's uh it can be overwhelming if you're trying to do too much at once so i think generally at first if you're first breaking into writing picking a lane and trying to get really good at something is probably the best path but again it, it's different for everyone now what do you have coming up next people um, can look forward to Ah, oh, I'm glad you asked that. Well, uh, so I have my novel Good Dogs coming out from Blackstone Publishing. Uh, there's not a release date on that yet. So uh, more on that coming soon. There's also the revised edition of Man Fuck This House, which will include uh, a bunch of different short stories. That's also coming out through Blackstone um, in the future. Uh, my next book coming out is called Return of the Living Elves, and it's a Christmas horror comedy that comes out November 29th from my own mutated media. So uh, it's up for pre-order on Amazon right now or also through my website, brianasmanbooks.com. Um, everything you order through my website comes signed, and I throw in all kinds of cool swag. So if any of your listeners want to go check that out, um, I'm really excited about this book. It's uh, Man, Fuck This House had some humorous elements in it, but uh, Return of the Living Elves, as you can guess from the title, is just like a complete comedy. It's complete gonzo, balls-to-the-wall kind of like insane shit happening all the time. It's uh, It starts out as a tribute to Return of the Living Dead, only it's set in a Christmas warehouse instead of a medical supply warehouse, but then it kind of goes in some really weird and crazy directions. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, dude, thank you so much for being on the show, yeah. man. It's been really fun. It's probably the most informative episode we've had so far. And it's really oh, helpful. fantastic. I really appreciate that. Great. Glad to hear that. Thanks again for having me on. This is super fun. 
Thank you, man. You have a great night. All right. You too. Bye. Bye.